We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We services hello trent trent that's right folks trent algare is still out in england the land of ang if you will i was originally planning on having a special guest sophia alexis uh with us here but uh you're just gonna have to do with little old me telling you what i've had to eat most recently Today, I have had but one grain of rice because as of recording, it is 10 a.m. and I have not been able to eat anything because I'm not that hungry. But I came home from my college apartment to my home home in Bridgewater, New Jersey, and um, uh, a bowl of just normal, just plain rice um, was sitting out and I needed something to eat before I recorded this podcast for obvious reasons, um, and I think that's all I have to say, um, wow, these are really weird to record when you have no one to record with, um, I don't know how Trent did the entire Muppet episode by himself, but, um, with that being said, let's, uh, let's cue the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week we are talking again with sound mixer Stephen Morrow for Babylon, Damien Chazelle's newest film. came out last year. Highly controversial, but um, loved by many, me, hated by some, um, other cowards. But yeah, we continue our conversation with Stephen Morrow. Again, we talk about more specific scenes, but we also talk about some other movies he worked on, including Little Miss Sunshine, the upcoming Maestro, Bradley Cooper's next film, and Joker 2, an, uh, another Lady Gaga film. Uh, he also worked on A Star is Born. Um, yeah, I think this is a pretty good interview, um, and I uh, think maybe we should just cue right into it. Uh, so we kind of wanted to go into some specific scenes that we yeah, thought were kind of notable. Um, obviously, there's the opening like half hour long party sequence. Um, and if you could just sort of talk about how long that it to, even took to shoot, because it seems so intricate and sort of the ch- uh, you sort of touched on it a little bit, but just sort of the challenges of um, recording sound for that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Wallach party, the opening party of the movie you know, the interior was was five days in the hotel lobby, you know, which is the big party area. Um, the exterior, which kind of looked like a castle in the middle of the desert, that was uh, Palmdale. So the, the interior was in downtown, downtown Los Angeles. The exterior was in Palmdale at a house, and we did nights in that, and that was uh, three or four nights because we were waiting for the sunrise uh, for two days in a row to get the sunrise shot of her leaving. 
And we were also waiting for the sunset shot for when she pulls up and, and the, the elephant and the whole, you know, the whole group show up. Uh, you know, movie wise, it's, it's timed out very cinematically where you get to do all these, um, you know, sunset sunrise shots. Um, there were different locations like, you know, where the, the, the producer was having his party with the girl and then she ODs that was in a whole different spot. So the, the entire opening party was probably a two week process, you know, over three or four different locations. Uh, the challenges were, you know, it was just, it was, you know, the party was chaos, and so you wanted it to be chaotic. Um, I always try not to, to limit a director and say, oh, okay, everybody has to be perfectly quiet, because uh, that kind of ruins the mood, you know. Like, I like the overlaps. I like people, it, it being sloppy and dirty and messy, and um, because that's what it's going to sound like in the theater anyway, so let's get that for the actors. And so that was that was the challenge of, like, you know, like, you know, let's have these party goers you know, going for it, you know, cause you also had live chickens and cows walking through the party. Um, and those were all real, you know? So it was like, you just had to like do the best you can and not, not sweat the small, you know, the small things are just, you know, they're going to get in the way of performances if you really try to like clamp down on everything. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and then another scene that, um, I mean, I don't know if this felt like meta for you, but, uh, the, the, um, scene where Margot Robbie has to shoot the first, the first day of sound. sound. Yeah. yeah. Um, just shooting that just cause that was, you know, yeah, it's all about the sound, I guess. I mean, that was like, that was one of those really fun days because for one, the guy who played Carson, who played, uh, Lloyd, the sound guy, that was his first uh, day ever on set. Wow. That was his first day. And his character's name was Lloyd Morrow named after, you know, Myself, right? Steve Morrow. And it's on the slate. It's on the slate. Sound by El Morrow. Um, And then uh, that was just, it was one of those fun days because it was just so chaotic and funny. And like, you know, the way that it's shot and the way that he builds the tension over the whole scene, you know, as as a crew member, you're sitting there going, okay, we're shooting her, reading the lines again. You know, we have the makeup person running around the corner you know, coming in, sweating her up, running out, you know, just hiding behind a chair. You know, it's just like, because these scenes, you know, they're intense and there's a ton of cuts and there's a ton of things that are happening. Um, everybody gets, you know, everybody in the scene gets mic'd because everybody has one line here or one line there. Um, so those scenes are really fun. I mean, and, and then Carson and I have worked together. Um, he's in he's in Joker 2. He plays a character in there which was a lot of fun to re- reunite with him. And then, uh, and then in the whole meta of it all, uh, in Joker, I play a sound guy named Lloyd Morrow. So, wow. Yeah. So we, we, we turned it all around. Recasting the role. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll look out for you in Joker too. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it, if it makes it, you know, you, you yeah. get lobbed out, you never know. Fair. Um, so another scene is uh, Toby Maguire. I like the underground party, sort of like the Boogie Nights inspired, like Firecracker in the background with like yeah. the, the the friend or the guy off the side. I forget if he's like sneezing or coughing. Um, but any anything sound related to that? That was uh, that was just pure chaos. Uh, <laughs> we, we had playback for, you know, when they first go into the, the, the underground, the first levels, the guys drumming and the girls fighting in the cage. Um, and we would do playback and then the, the first AD would yell cut 
we'd stop the playback and the drummers couldn't hear him yell cut. So he, they would just keep drumming. And it actually sounded like we were still playing back because it was the same sound. And I'm looking at the computer going, oh, we, we stopped. And in the 80s, like, cut, 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 cut. I think there's a recording of him yelling for like 30 seconds straight. And they're coming over to me and they're saying, you got to stop. I'm like, that's not me. <laughs> the drummer's drumming. Um, we actually had a, the crocodile was a live crocodile. Uh, first take was a crocodile attached to chains that were plastic chains, which we use in movies all the time. And um, all of a sudden it ran out of frame and broke the chains. And uh, <laughs> everybody had to stand still, wait for the uh, animal wrangler to come in and figure that out. Uh, the set was was kind of genius because each floor was the same set. We would shoot the floor, then we would move to a different, like a hallway, while they redress. You know, they'd take out the cage and put in the the stage where the guy eats the rat. You know, like so it was the same. It was the same set, just redressed every single level, as we would go up and down the stairs. Um, just another scene that came to mind, and I guess two different scenes, but, um, they're both movie theater related scenes. One is, um, when Manny first sees, uh, the jazz singer and then, uh, at the end, obviously with the movie theater there, were you miking up any extras there or was it just, uh, no, we didn't mic up any extras on that one. We, we mic the room for reactions, you know, people laughing, clapping, um, but specifically miking up an extra once you mic up an extra uh, they become an actor uh pay wise so we tend to never really mic up an extra unless the director's like hey have that guy say this and then we put a mic on him and then he gets upgraded pay raise yeah exactly pay raise so we tend to never do that um but we'll we'll plant mics throughout the crowd uh just to get their reactions um and in that in that scene we gave manny an earpiece and he gave us a playlist that made him that emotional. And so that's what we played for him. Um, you know, and it was, you know, the songs were, were special to him. And that's what gave him his emotion in those scenes. And so we gave him an earpiece and he just told us what to play and when to play it. This is for my own curiosity, but like on our wimpy uh, film school, ZF, ZF8s, we are like, like our maximum amount of tracks is eight. And so, like, you as a professional sound mixer, like, on set, what is the most amount of tracks you will ever realistically record? Or, like, what <laughs> is your, or, like, the what is the limitation of the of your machine, you know? Yeah, so you, I'm probably the, the worst person to ask that question. Uh, we're, we max out at 64 tracks. Um, I've done a couple movies where we've hit 62 like, A Star is Born, we hit 62 a few times. Uh, we just finished a movie called Maestro uh, about Leonard Bernstein. We maxed out at 63. I would say, though, that, like, if you were to average it out, I would... I tend to stay under 30 about 99% of the time. Uh, anything over that becomes just strange and unmanageable and weird and, like, what, what are we doing? But... Um, I did a movie called The Way Back, and we ended up doing, that was the, the Ben Affleck basketball movie, we mic'd every player, every coach, and then we put the quadraphonic mic in the audience, which was the Dolby Atmos mic, so that's a four-channel microphone, um, and I think on average we hit 24 tracks, you know, every day, anytime the basketball players were there, 
um, playing a game or, or, or rehearsing or not rehearsing, but practicing for their next match. So, uh, but I would say, look, if you're starting in sound, you know, eight's not a bad number. 12 is probably now the normal minimum. Um, eight was good, you know, five years ago, but you know, our jobs have increasingly gotten, uh, more complex and, and easier to do. Like if I had to do eight tracks, you know, 15 years ago, it would have been a huge, huge deal. Now it's like, Oh, eight tracks. Okay. No problem. Um, yeah. But I think if you're, you're starting out and you're buying equipment, it's always one of those things. It's like, you know, you could buy the equipment for the movie you're going to do or the movie you want to do. So which, you know, how many times you want to spend the same amount of money? You know, so just, you know, if like your passion is sound, you're going to do sound forever, you know, get at least 12 channels available. You don't have to have 12 radio mics or 12 microphones. You can slowly add those. Yeah. Um, and then the last scene um, that I kind of want to talk about, was just uh, the one of Jack at the party. And then he at the end where he then walks up and uh, commits Spoiler. suicide. Ah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> At this point, it'll be a six-month-old movie. But, yeah, um, no, this is true. <laughs> and, and we're 30 minutes into the interview. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. uh, spo- spoiler alert. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, just, again, another one and another, like, cool set. And just uh, anything, you know, was Brad Pitt, did he have an earpiece in? Or? Yeah, so, yeah, actually, uh, in this in this scene, we shot this in Pasadena at uh, Tavern Green, which is a, an apartment building um, that is... You know, we film it all the time. We filmed it for um, Thank You for Smoking, where, like, they have the mint julep, you know, conversation with, um... oh, now I can't remember his name. But anyway, it, we, we film it all the time for these kind of oldie-looking things. That's the lobby of the, of the, the it's an old hotel, but now turned um, apartment living, you know, apartment building. Um, and then if, uh, let's see, for that, that was an interesting shoot because basically the word came down that nobody could could have a video monitor nobody could watch and only the director and the cinematographer could have a monitor and they they basically tented everybody out so nobody could see it um for that we had to do a cue of music once he passed the kid on on the stairway and he gave him his hundred bucks or whatever it was um, that was the cue for us to start the, the movie or the, the music in his ear. Cause he did have an earpiece and that's when we did use a repeater to get it all the way down the hall, the next floor up. Um, and that was the hard one because we had to just, I had to just listen to what he was doing to take my own cue because I couldn't have a monitor, you know, nobody could cue me. Was there a reason monitor. that they, you know, it was just the sensitivity of the suicide. I think, you know, some people are, I think, you know, from what I understood is that there was just a sensitivity to it and it, that it wasn't something that, you know, it was like a very personal moment for him. So, you know, out of respect, we all just said, yeah, no problem. You know, you don't make a big deal out of it when somebody asks something like that, because it's, it's fairly unusual. So there's got to be a reason behind it. Um, and if I can do the job without, you know, begging to see it, it's like, well, I'll just listen to when that piece of money comes out and is handed off and then I can hit the queue. Um, so for me, that's where it's like, you know, just makes sense to do the, do the right thing by the person asking that, you know, having that request. Yep. Parth, do you think it's time to move out of Babylon land into other, other movie territory? Much as I love Babylon. Yes. 
I mean, now that uh, we've killed off Brad, you know, yeah, it's know. A, we we've reached the the <laughs> logical the end dead. of the film. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, this is the sort of a rapid fire. Not doesn't have to be rapid, but just we've listed some of the yeah, yeah. movies you've worked on that were most uh, that are some of our personal favorites. And one of my personal favorites is uh, Little Miss Sunshine. And uh, is it, if there's anything you could just get a tidbit about any movie we mentioned, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, Little Miss Sunshine, you know, when they're doing that spin uh, before the ho- b- before they make it to the hotel, just yeah. imagine a, whatever, 15, 20 year ago me laying on, on the floor of that car as they're spinning because, you know, the wireless was only as good as it was at the time. And I'm just laying there, getting just all sorts of motion sick. Because we're, it's not like you're only doing the one spin and going. You're spinning it like 40 times while they repeat the dialogue, and they keep going and they keep going. And I'm just sitting there, laying on the ground, mixing and just trying to listen without throwing up. So that was <laughs> that was that was a hard one. We did that in 30 days, um, and we would be on and off the car all the time, depending on where we were on the location. Did you have to lay on the ground for all of the car scenes? No, but anytime the car was free driving with the actors in it, then yeah. So anytime you're looking out the front window, um, that was free driving. And so then that's when you had to like, you know, join the join the group. Uh, the rest of the time we would tow it. Um, sometimes the, the car itself was cut in half. Like when you're on the freeway, they cut the car in half so they could they could dolly down between the rows of seats. Um, and in that moment, you know, we put up a big plexi shield because we were actually on the freeway. Um, and you know, the sound of (laughs) trucks driving by on the I-5 freeway was, was horrible sometimes. So you would have to just, they would have to wait until there wasn't a truck blasting by, uh, to do the dialogue. Yeah. Um, another one of my favorite movies, um, of the last few years, it's a big dad favorite is, um, Ford v Ferrari. Um, and that's got all kinds, speaking of cars, all kinds mm-hmm. of cool cars. Um, if yeah. you could talk a little bit about that and a little bit about like James, James Mangold, who yeah. I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Mangold is, he's great. He's, uh, he's one of these guys that's just like very smart, very fast on his feet, very sarcastic, you know? Uh, and, um, he's a lot of fun to work with at first when I first started working with him, you know, it took a week or two to figure out what his personality was and what, when he was joking, when he wasn't. Uh, and then once you got it, it was, you know, it was a fun ride to be on. Um, all those cars had Toyota or Honda engines in them, um, except for what one or two of the, the, you know, the main GT, um, you know, the main Ford cars had some decent engines in them, but none of them were really, uh, time period accurate. So, our goal on that one wasn't to record the cars, wasn't to get good sound effects of those because we knew those were going to be replaced. Our goal was let's get the dialogue clean, let's get it nice and you know as clean as we can, and then let post production jump in and, and get all the car sounds. And uh, post was able to find a classic car race that recreated the Le Mans race, and all the collectors in the world we would get together and do it. And they convinced them, hey, can we record? <laughs> can we put microphones all over your car and record them and, and they were able to do it so that w- that was pretty great but the, the the cars that were in the the ferrari factory those were all real authentic ferraris we had one that was worth 40 million and one that was worth 100 million uh because they were the actual cars that won the races and it was like wow. why would anybody give us this we're a film crew we're gonna smash <laughs> it for sure 
or we're gonna at the very least like lean up against it while we're eating lunch. You know? Oh, for sure, and that almost happened. I watched, I watched, uh, you know, a couple grips moving a stand by it, and I'm like, oh, they don't know that that's a hundred million dollars <laughs> is in there. I'm uh, sorry we didn't ask this during the the Babylon section, but it just reminded me talking about James Mangold. Uh, is there anything you can say about Damien Chazelle's directing style? Is it giving yeah, I mean, his, him his style is very. Like, Damien Chazelle is the type of guy that knows exactly what he wants. He's made the movie. It's in his head. He's been thinking about it forever. He thinks about it nonstop. And it's the goal of the the crew that he's hired to put it on, you know, put it on film. So, to me, it's a very, it's a, it's a great way, you know, because you work with directors that don't have an idea of what they want to do for the day, which is, you know, that works for some of them. And some people know exactly what they want to do. Um, sometimes to a fault where you, you'll do 40 or 50 takes because it's not exactly what they want. Uh, and Damien leans towards that direction where it's like it, it has to be exactly what he wants. But it's a it's to me, it's such great, you know, it's kind of like a nice relief where you have a director that knows what he wants, can explain to the crew what he wants. And then it's just our goal is to get it for him. Right. But you've also, I saw you worked on The Mule, which I think is directed by Clint Eastwood, and he's yes. famous for, like, doing just one take. So while you're, like, on set for that, are you like, this is awesome, just, like, on to the next thing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just, like, everybody has a style, and there's ways of appreciating both styles. Like, I appreciate uh, Damien Chazelle and his desire to get exactly what he wants, because, honestly, like, you know, if the, if the film is amazing or is horrible, those type of directors, you can give a hundred percent credit for both. Right. So, and sometimes like a movie and, and I'm not trashing like superhero movies, but like you do a Marvel movie and it's like, maybe it doesn't matter who the director is. And maybe it doesn't matter, you know, certain things because at the end of the day, the studio is going to make a Marvel movie. And so it's not that the work is harder or, or easier or anything like that. It's just, it's a difference between, you know, making the difference in making movies with Clint's movies, you know, it's almost more pressure in the sense that, you know, you only have one or two takes, you know, that's it, you know, and if you don't get it, then that's it. You know, what can you do? Um, so yeah, we're, we're, um, it's kind of fun both ways, you know, because you do, you do a lot of scenes, you know, fast on a Clint movie and you do, but also on a Damien movie, it's not like we're moving slow. It's just, we're, you know, a lot of the time we're shooting versus setting up. So the setups are fast uh, and the shooting, the actual shooting of takes is, is the majority of your day, which is more entertaining for, for me because I don't work on the setups. I mostly work when the film, when the camera's rolling. Yeah. I mean, speaking of superhero films, um, you're working on a super villain film um, <laughs> or uh, the shooting complete on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I, I don't want Warner brothers to sort of have a target on your head, but if there's right. anything you could say about working on Joker two, that would be cool. That would yeah. Be cool. I mean, it's, it's, um, it, it's just a great experience. You know, it's just a, a really, it is hard to say anything about it, but it, the movie is, um, what can I say? <laughs> it's good. It's fun and good. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 gonna it's gonna surprise people, uh, mo- more like the first one did, you know, where everybody nobody really knew what to expect, um, and I think you know similarly, uh, the, you know the part two is gonna be, I think just as 
loved as the first one. You know, it was a, it, it was a great shoot to work on. It was really nice people. Uh, you know, the whole cast was just incredibly nice and generous. And and you know, that's kind of all I can say. It's a, it's a year and a half away, but um, <laughs> there you go. Hey, I'll I'll get you out of the hot seat, and I'll use I'll use Lady Gaga as my through line to sure. uh, to A Star Is Born, and yeah. just if there's anything uh, else you could mention about that. Yeah, no, I mean she's uh, or know, not we, not specific to her, just to move from one movie to the next. Oh, A Star Is Born. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, to that. yeah, no, we we uh, her and I, um, you know, at the beginning of A Star Is Born, it was. Uh, we were figuring out how to communicate with each other because she comes from the music world, I come from the film world, uh, and you're saying the same thing, but it's different, right? It's a, it's the same idea but different wording, uh, and so it took a, a few weeks for us to work that out uh, communication-wise, and then everything was smooth sailing, and the benefit of that relationship going into Joker was that there was no longer that, that learning curve, so it was it was a really kind of exciting, fun you know reunion. And um, working on Maestro, uh, the Bradley Cooper's next movie. Um, yeah, uh, is that a cool, fun shoot? Um, we had a blast on that movie. Um, I mean, to to make a movie like Maestro, um, where Bradley got to make the movie that he's really been dreaming about ever since he was a kid. Um, that was a fun experience. I mean, it was the same crew that we had, mostly the same crew as The Star Is Born. Um, the cinematographer and I, Maddie Labatique, we've done a you know handful of movies together. Uh, we're good friends. It's it's like it's a fun group. When when you can go and work with your friends, that's when you, that's when you just have a, a really good time. Yeah, that's when it becomes like. And sometimes that can become more stressful, you know, because you want to do that much better. It's like moving your, uh, you know, moving furniture with your friends or moving some random person's furniture it's like you know there's more pressure on your and your friend's furniture because they're going to see you after after you're done moving yeah Parth, do you think it's time for the big kahuna final question um yeah oh i think this it is, is. This makes me nervous no 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 reason to uh <laughs> no, the big no. the, the big kahuna final question is what is the last great movie that you have watched and it can be uh, a first time uh, watch or a rewatch, but it has to be great has to be great not just good not just good shit <laughs> all right well it's been tough it's been a tough few years to be honest um i would have to say oof, well that's a tough one i would have to say the one that surprised great movie i mean it's like hmm we've had we've had oscar winners um be, be 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 bedazzled by this yeah, question. Just yeah, yeah for well, it's tough because end. of the way that you're you know the way you phrase it. The last great movie. I mean, like I know the last movie that I really enjoyed was Nope. Mm. Oh, like, yeah, oh. yeah I mean, a, we we would take I, in Nope. We covered that on the show. We think it's great. Yeah, yeah I mean, to, to me, that's like, when I watched it, I was like, yeah, this is great. This is fun, interesting, you know. Yeah. Um, Summer blockbuster. In summer blockbuster, what else has have I seen? Because there's been a lot of like, oof, not some great movies lately. You could but, use uh, you could use uh, Oscar season for inspiration if you if, if that helps, or maybe that hurts my. Oh, case. you know what? You know what I did? I I did watch uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, and mm, to me, yeah. to me, that was like, holy crap! Where did you guys come from? 
you know, like, it was like they watched uh, 1917 and said, oh, hold on, hold my beer, you know. <laughs> we'll show you what World War One is all about. Uh, so, to me, I think that's probably the last great, like, not a movie you, you want to sit down and, like, watch nonstop. But no, not I an watched, easy watch. I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, it was a crusher. It was a crusher. Kind of a deeply unpleasant film, but yeah. It was I, a no, deeply unpleasant, <laughs> well-made, like, just, like, I've, I, you know, I reached out to the production sound mixer on that, and I just said, great job, I never want to work on a movie like that. Because, <laughs> like, it looked cold and muddy and miserable. There was no part of that movie that looked like that was entertaining. Yeah. Parth, you want to bring us out? Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you so much to our guest, Stephen Morrow. He's the sound mixer behind such films as Little Miss Sunshine, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Ford v. Ferrari, and our film for today, Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What an interview. I certainly thought so. Thank you so much to our guest, Stephen Morrow, for talking with us. It was a pleasure having him on the podcast and another uh, sound mixer to add to the roster. I think we can say safely next week will be our discussion of Babylon. And for that one, we will definitely have guest Trent Elgare because by God, I cannot do these alone. This is really, really weird. Um... Thank you so much for listening. You can listen to this on all podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, um, Pandora, anywhere you get your podcast, we are there. You can also find us on social media at um, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Those are the two that we have where you can get updates on when the episodes have been uploaded and um, some fun stuff. Um, but other than that, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.